All right. Good afternoon, everyone. We have two more panels. It's uh, both tankers, so I suggest you, you stick around for that. Um, before we start, I would like each uh, participant to uh, quickly introduce themselves and, and the company it represents. Maybe start with you, uh, Kim. Maybe start with me, okay. Can everybody hear me? Okay, I'm on. Okay, I'm Kim Ullman. Uh, I represent Concordia Maritime, which is a small tanker company listed in Stockholm. Uh, we, are, we have around 20 ships. Our majority shareholder is Stena. 52 uh, percent so we certainly by that have access to a lot of resources on the commercial and technical side uh, <clears throat> hi I'm, I represent D'Amico we are an Italian company with uh, three generations listed on the Milan stock exchange uh, we're a product tanker company we specialize especially in MRs and handies uh, mostly MRs we used to be uh, very much players on the TC market, but I guess in these days we're much bigger players on the on the spot market, I see, due to market conditions. So, there it is. Good afternoon, I'm Eddie Valentis, I'm the CEO of Pixis Tankers. We are a product tanker company specializing in the medium range product tankers. We are listed at NASDAQ uh, since three years ago and our ticker is PXS. Um, our strategy has been a, a mixture of spot and period employment. Uh, lately we've been all spot because we were expecting a better market. Very good, my name is Christian Sobart, I'm the CFO of TORM. TORM is a company listed both in Copenhagen and in York at NASDAQ. We have about 80 vessels all owned and we operate them on an integrated platform, meaning that both the commercial and the technical management done in-house. Perfect. Thank you, gentlemen. So as a, as a kind of a quick backdrop, you know, it's been a couple of years since the product market was, was really aspiring. Uh, I think you need to go back to 2014, 2015, when the MRs were earning twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000 a day. 2016, 2017 was kind of similar to what we saw in the crude market and overall quite poor. Um, now we're about to round off the third quarter of, of 2018. And I guess 2018 was a year where, you know, Based on, on uh, fundamentals, it should suggest it was a better, a better year for product markets. You had lighter uh, inventory draws, you have somewhat better refinery margins, and you also had quite limited fleet growth, just 1% on the MRs uh, and 2% on the uh, LR2s. But in fact, 2018 has been an even worse year than, uh, than 2017. Uh, I think in the third quarter, you're looking at LR2s uh, earning $7,000, $8,000 a day, and the MRs uh, pretty close to that. Uh, on recent earnings calls, uh, you know, there's been a couple of suggestions of, of why this is the case. People point to uh, you know, the refinery maintenance instance, uh, people point to reduced imports of, of diesel in, in Brazil, um, and, and I guess a lot of these events can be ascribed to as, as kind of a one-off, but I, I guess the first question is, you know, is there something more structural going on in the part of the market these days that can kind of explain the, the dire state of the market? And maybe, Kim, we'll start with you again. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think there is anything structurally wrong in any in any ways. Um, we have not expected this market to to go up until this fall or autumn. So, and we still expect it to happen in in, in Q4. Um, and, and all the all the things or arrows are pointing in the right direction. Why it hasn't happened yet, I don't think it's 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 simply because we've had many ships coming. We have had a high inventory situation, and we've been pointing at that inventory situation for a long time. 
And as Doug said very clearly in the previous panel, or that when, when you take from, from, this, from, from, uh, from your inventories in the consuming areas, you, know, you don't need shipping. And now the inventories are down where we expected them to be, you know, around the five-year average and even lower. So now everything points in the right direction, but it has not happened yet. We haven't had that extra oil yet. We're still waiting for the, for the, for the point to make it to turn, and that is more oil from OPEC, uh, which in, in turn will, will produce more products, uh, arbitrage, and everything is, is let loose. What about you, Marco? You've been on this panel for, for quite some time. Are you, are you surprised to see the, the rates hovering where they are currently? Well, I think, I think you forgot that I've been wrong for quite some time. I've seen this market improving a long time ago. Um, look, I, I understand what Kim says, you know, it's, but I think it's just frustrating for us, like for people who are investing in our companies, the fact that, you know, you think you have found an area of problems, Kirin was correct, the inventory, the spot that we discussed about it, he was totally right, but then the inventory has dropped. Then you're thinking about, uh, yeah, but it's the price of oil, and then the price of oil is back to 80. Then you see there is the big ships that are taking cargoes on the maiden voyage from Korea to Europe, and that's also going to change. So it's always been, I think, we've always tried to justify something that we have not been able to understand. So I agree with what Kim says, but you know, sometimes you also wonder, is there something out there that we do not see? And then in three, four years or when the market will change in six months, we'll be saying, oh, we should have figured that one out. I'm always afraid that the market is always trying to self-justify itself. And, you know, we do these discussions very often. And I think there is a lot of factors, but for sure, all the factors positive are there, pointing in the right direction. It's just that, you know, there was no positive feedback to all of these arrows pointing up. You know, just uh, in the best case, they were going laterally, if not going down. Fair enough. And maybe sticking to kind of recent events, the, the U.S.-China relationship has surely uh, been affecting expectations on shipping market, I guess, especially on, on containers and LNG. But, Eddie, I mean, what would you think the applications would be from a full-blown train war on, on kind of the product side? Uh, I don't see any implications for the product tanker sector at this stage. I mean, if the um, if this is a full-blown war, uh, which will go down further down the line, I mean, it will affect everybody, and I guess it will affect the tanker market as well. I mean, let's not forget that the world economy is growing by, according to IMF, by 3.9 percent. So uh, we have a good growth, good fundamentals, and uh, so far I don't think the market is affected by this uh, trade war between the U.S. and uh, China. In any case, I don't see any uh, trade from pro for products, substantial trading between the, the two countries. Mm. And w what about, the, Christian, the recent, uh, I guess, sell-off in emerging markets? You know, some of these countries have been, you know, inflating drivers of, of imports, Brazil, Mexico. Are, are there any, you know, implications from, from that market? I've read the stories about Brazil and Mexico, and I don't think that really is the explanation of the weak market. If we look at it, um, compare first half of 17 to second half of uh, first half of 18, then we actually see traded volumes are up by 6%, 5-6%. What we also see is that their transport is shorter, so that cuts off maybe 2 percentage points of the growth. And at the same time, we also have the cannibalization from the crude market coming in, cutting off maybe 1% of the, the demand growth. So I think that's where the real explanation is. You will always have various uh, countries that are in difficulties, but individually they will not make the story here. Yeah. 
I guess speaking of the, the crude market, I mean, the crude and product in many ways have, have many of the same demand drivers, you know, whether that be economic growth, oil consumption growth, refinery additions and, and, and changes in refinery runs. Uh, but as, as some of you also alluded to, you have the switching effect created by the LRs, you know, switching from CPP to dirty and, and the other way around, depending on, on market sentiment. Uh, you also have the cannibalizing of crude new bills, uh, traditionally, you know, taking LR trades in the East. I mean. How important is the crude market for, for the product market, Kim? Uh, it's very important. It's the same market. Uh, we, we all need oil, and oil is, um, is products in the end. It starts with the crude oil, but we're not putting crude oil in our, in our, in our airplanes. So, so they're very linked, and uh, there could be uh, lagging times in between uh, when one is taking off and, and, and the, other, the other one is lagging. But, but overall, they, they certainly work very closely together. There's no doubt about that. So there are temporary disconnects uh, every now and then. But the big crude tankers taking the big slugs on their maiden voyage, I'm so used to it. So I, I don't, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. And it will be like that un, until the oil company says, we're not putting products in, in a crude tanker. And which which they won't. So, um, so 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 that's that's that situation. Of course, and and the switching is a factor. The switching is a factor. It would delay one uh, segment uh, from another when when they switch from clean to crude and, and vice versa. And and there was a figure about um, all the LR2s switching from uh, clean to crude in 2015 when 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 both markets were out. That catered for uh, something like 85 MRs uh, in, in, in loading capacity that particular year. So it has an impact. But they work together and they are in tandem and oil is our business. So Morgia, I mean, is it possible to kind of quantify the, the impact of potential switching? I mean, you have 330 LR2s, you have 380 LR1s and roughly 600 MRs. How many of them do you know, think are, are trading dirty these days? I think I think uh, probably the, the bigger part of the fleet trading though is this on the LR2 and LR1 and Mars. I don't think you'll see a lot of switching. At least we tend a lot of our customers want to keep them clean, uh, so we don't see a lot of switching. I think you see it more on the on the bigger size. But then, when one LR2 goes clean or goes dirty, it is a big factor because you know it takes out a lot of Mars. So at the end of the day, but. Also, the other interesting thing is that we talk about MRs. If you look at this market, at the end of the day, the MR has been the most resilient segment of the fleet. It's the one with best performance, considering the different price ratio of price to charter ratio. MRs have been the best performing ships in, uh, in, in this period. And it's kind of amazing how this ship has really became so intertwined in the, in the trade business. Uh, it has really the, proven to be the workhorse of, uh, of, of, of the trade. So, you know, MRs have been doing, uh, considering the sad general state of the whole market, MRs have been uh, doing pretty well, have been outperforming. Ships have been costing uh, 10, 20, 30 percent more, they've been doing pretty well. Yeah, that's true. Kristen, you also have uh, some, some LRs. I mean, there's quite a heavy delivery schedule on crude, has been in 17 and 18. You know, you're churning out more than 50 VLs and Suez Maxis, and, and next year also quite a few of crude uh, VLCCs. I mean, is the product market to turn, you know, even though there's a delivery schedule still on the crude market? So, I think there's, a, of course, there's a link between the markets, and there will be some kind of time delay between it. And just back to the point around uh, the cleaning up uh, of uh, LRs, we have seen over the last 10 years, we've seen the range of LR2s that are in dirty somewhere between 
32% to 45%. And right now, according to our figures, we're at 37%. So we are in the middle of the range, and it's normal what we're seeing here. But it gives headwind in the short term, and of course the crude market is also giving some headwind at the moment. Right, and, and maybe sticking with you, Christian, I, I'd just like to get kind of the high-level view from, from each of you, you know, maybe where you guys concur and, and maybe where you disagree on, on kind of the path forward. I mean, is there a silver lining to, to all this? I definitely think that we are seeing some good perspectives uh, in the product hanger market. The supply, we haven't talked much about it, but the order book is well managed. It's uh, just around 10% coming at a good schedule. Demand is fundamentally strong. We are seeing the product hanger story playing out. If we look at refineries being added in the Middle East, it's the same for the last five years. It's going to be the same for the next five years, plus 30%, so it's actually picking up in speed. We haven't touched upon it yet, but the IMO 2020 is going to be a catalyst um, for the market because we are going to see some inefficiencies in the system. So I definitely think that we are looking into a stronger market, and we have also positioned ourselves for that. So we've been investing in TORM, in, spending about $350 million on new vessels over the last 12 months. So we, we definitely think there's a silver lining in, in the market. Mm. Maybe, Eddie, I mean, I guess the MR order book is, is less than 10%, but, you know, 10% is not a very small order book if you kind of spread it on three years. It's 3 4% gross. You know, do you think it's sufficiently low to kind of help? The order book. Uh, yeah, we estimate the order book to be around 6.8% uh, for the next couple of years, which annualizes about 3.4%. This is excluding slippage and uh, scrapping. Uh, so it's, uh, I think it's the lowest order book we've seen since uh, the year 2000. So uh, it's a good sign, considering also what Christian mentioned about 2020, and the, considering also that uh, about 7% of the fleet, of the MR fleet today is around 18 uh, years of age plus. So we think by 2020 we'll see increased scrapping also in the MRs. Uh, considering also they will, they will have to go through the fourth special survey, install the ballast water treatment system, plus the consumption issue, because as we know, uh, only 1% of the MRs will be installing scrubbers. Therefore, the majority, the vast majority of the MRs will be switching to marine gas oil or um, whatever blend is out there by then. So we're very positive on the MR. What about you, Mark? I mean, you said you were wrong before. Have you, have you changed your thesis? No, I think if you insist, if you insist in one position, and then you'll be right, you know. So that's uh, that's why. You know, so why change at this point? Risk of being wrong, you know. Um, what what I would like also to add to what Eddie was saying. What is also very very puzzling in all of this is that a lot uh, a lot of prices prices of new buildings have not been going down. Prices of new buildings have been going up. So you find a situation where prices of new buildings are going up but charter rates are at a very low level. So this is also two things that tend to be a little bit in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in opposite direction. I think, uh, no, I think, I think, I think I'm very, still very positive. It's just, it's very frustrating. You know, you would imagine that then you have a good, a good quarter and this and that, and then it's postponed and postponed and postponed. It's like, you know, uh, it's always waiting for something to happen, which is not happening. So it's frustrating for us in the business. It's frustrating for investors who are investing in us, for our shareholders. I think there is a certain amount of frustration here about all of this, and I totally understand it. Mm. 
What about uh, inventory scheme? I know that's something uh, close to your heart. I mean, the, in the U.S., which is the most updated one, I mean, distillers are, are now quite low, but though gasoline stocks are, are more in the high range. I mean, when do you think we're actually to see an inventory build again? Is it going to be this year, next first, year? First of all, we have to have a stop in the draw. And that's when the market's going to change, when, when, we, when we stop taking from the inventories and more oil on the market so we get it stable and possibly up. Um, and I think that's going to happen during this winter. And, and I'm, I'm not disagreeing with anyone. And all these arguments are good and we're not going to have different um, opinions on the path going forward. We're all optimistic. And, and on the demand side, I have to say, we, we've been going from 40 million barrels a day to 100 million barrels a day in 40 years. I mean, demand is, is not our issue. It is the supply side that we're crashing ourselves on, on a regular basis. You're correct in saying that order book, and, and that's the expression these days, uh, the order book is low. Yeah, it's lower than it was, but it was extremely high. So what is low? And, and, and I was talking to a shareholder the other day, and he called, and I, and I was using the argument that hey, the, the, the net growth of the fleet is very low. It's, it's only maybe 2%. And he said, holy smoke, you should have negative growth for once. You never had a negative growth. growth. And that's really what we need every now and then, a, a real, you know, take everybody to the cleaners and, and, and stop ordering and uh, have a negative growth for a while. So you're right, uh, one to three percent ne uh, net growth is not a heck of a, it's not very little, it is not. Mm. But, but um, one thing that is not very little, but on the other hand, I think what is also compounding this problem of the, the number of the percentage is that we've been in the years, uh, efficiency in shipyards has been growing so fast. Before you had a cycle of uh, 18 months to finish one ship, admitting there was nothing else. Now we're to 11 months. So I think that all these cycles have been accelerated dramatically because supply can come in the market much faster and much more aggressively than it used to come before. So uh, I think it's very self-defeating. Then you talk about the people who order ships, uh, of all our colleagues, uh, and you say, but why did you order? Well, if I didn't do it, somebody else would have done it. And so this, this is uh, the whole argument. So, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of getting, I think we're, there's a certain degree of uh, willing to inflict ourselves uh, wounds, uh, I think, in the industry on our side. So, but. Uh, Kirsten, you alluded to um, kind of the, the ramp up of refinery capacity. I guess, you know, from 11 to, to 16, there was a significant increase in capacity in the Middle East, and which proved very beneficial for, for larger ships in, in 14 and, and 15. I guess, you know, a similar increase can be, be expected from, from 18 to 23. So is that kind of something that can help the, the product market, say, in, in 19 and 20? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I guess it will be export-driven. Uh uh, capacity coming from the Middle East. Uh, I mean, driven mainly by you know NAFTA exports, which has been the leading uh, product uh, this year, over the past years. Uh, overall, yeah, it's a it's a good indication of uh, new refining capacity coming in the market, which will help the product tanker market. Uh, in in uh, as well as the, the Chinese refine new refiners that are coming into the market in the next years, which are export driven. Uh, so uh, overall, it's a good capacity coming in the market in the next years. Um, we estimated to be uh, um, uh, ad added capacity of 7.7 .7 million barrels per day in the next uh, until the 2023. Yeah. Christian, just finally on this topic, I guess the, the Chinese refinery additions kind of on a net-net effect. I mean, what, what do you think? It's positive or negative for? That is a difficult story around China because uh, in a product tanker context, uh, it hasn't really played a big role historically. Uh, you are adding 
larger refineries that can export uh, instead of uh, cheaper refineries, but it's going to be quota-based. So hence it's going to be policy-driven, and how that is going to play out is just very difficult to predict. But right now it's not a big story. Mm. And I guess we need to touch upon IMO 2020 as well. I mean, for tankers, we, we think this is the biggest thing since the outfacing of a single hulls. And I guess for product, there's an even more appealing story to this. So I guess for, for each of you, I mean, how have you kind of, you know, allocated your, your resources and your fleets and whatnot ahead of this uh, implementation? Maybe I start with you, Kim. Yeah, uh, well, uh, first of all, we think it's going to be uh, good. All the refineries in the West are, are old and old-fashioned and produce a lot of heavy fuel oil that is likely to be shipped to the more modern refineries in the, in the East and, and being cleaned up and uh, to, to produce compliant fuel. Uh, and lots of that is going to go back to the West, uh, which is good. So from that perspective, yep, there is going to be increased transportation need for products uh, 2020. Then uh, how we have prepared ourselves, uh, well, uh, everybody, uh, you know, it's, it's almost you know, written on the wall that um, fuel oil prices will go down and MGO prices will go up for, for the obvious reasons. So we have taken positions on that in the, in the derivatives market. So, so we're prepared, so we're taking a good chunk or a comfortable position on, on our bunker uh, exposure in 2020-2021 on, on, uh, on that spread uh, and, and, and hedged that. And that is, we'd started that already a year, year and a half ago, and, and suddenly it's moving in the right direction. So, so that's good. And Marco, you have quite a few new builds from, from 14 to 18, but to my knowledge so far, and not any scrubber. We have uh, actually to be delivered, we still have uh, two LR1s. Uh, will be delivered at the beginning of next year. So one will have a scrubber and the other one also, uh, that was the story uh, on the scrubber side. Personally, I think that. Um, uh, the 1% of MRs not having scrubbers, I think that's kind of an accurate figure. And I think on the MR trade, this is going to be, I think the market is also going to improve in general, also because there's going to be a lot of slow steaming. If you know, if bunker becomes more expensive, what are you going to do? You're going to do slow steaming. So then you'll be improving ton miles dramatically very quickly. Another thing that I think not a lot of people have been focusing, it's going to be a little bit of revolution on the products. But it's also going to have a huge impact on the crude. And here I have colleagues who are much more expert than, uh, than, than I am. Because if you start with a crude that's much uh, sweeter than one that's uh, sour, that has more sulfur content, so the refinery can produce uh, low sulfur fuel at a cheaper because the, the feedstock is already lower. So I think there's going to be also a big revolution there, a big change in pattern of trade of which crude is coming from to which refinery. So also that's going to have a big impact. I think when you have all these changes and you have a lot of uncertainty and you have a lot of loss of efficiency, that's where shipping, I think, tends to thrive because the biggest enemy of shipping is the efficiency, the, the, the speed, you know, when, when you have all these problems, I think that's the moment when shipping will be doing okay. So for these reasons, I think that 2020 will be a positive year, I think. Eddie, you know, switching two and a half or so million barrels of HFO to compliant fuel, suggesting a lot of incremental shipping uh, demand. Is, is that kind of a way of thinking about the, the, the product trade? Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, um, the, um, the majority of which we believe will be carried uh, in the Mars. Uh, we have uh, also see the trend 
of reactivation of older refineries with the task to desulfurize high sulfur fuel oil. And this is something new which is happening in the market. Therefore, we expect ton mile demand to grow substantially. Um, for product tankers. It's a good development overall. As, as Marco mentioned about slow steaming, it's very important. And slow steaming, we estimate that uh, will take um, approximately 50 MRs out of the market. So overall, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good development and we're very positive about the prospects of that. And Christian, you actually opted for, for scrubbers, mm -hmm. one of you actually quite on, on the product side. I mean, can you walk us through the, the process that you guys uh, did ahead of this? Yeah, certainly. Um, we've been spending maybe last year and a half debating the topic internally around scrubbers and not. And a year ago, we made the decision to make the first scrubber installment on a new building, NLR2, that was uh, delivered to us here a, f a few weeks back. So we have a test case with that. It's at Alpha Laval where we are getting the first experience on that. We have also this week actually installed a scrubber on a retrofit vessel, uh, so retrofitting uh, an existing vessel uh, and is getting some experience on, on that. Uh, I think the business case, if you believe in a spread of, let's just say, $200 per ton, and an MR on average uses 15 tons per, per day, uh, uh, over a year it's about $3,000 per day or about $1.1 million a year per vessel. And you have to pay two million for a scrubber. Then uh, the case is is pretty good, even with conservative assumptions. So, in turn, we we think it's a, it's a positive thing. And uh, the easier decision is, of course, to install it on the vessels that are new buildings because they are ready for it, and you don't have an additional off hire. How many will do of the the retrofit vessels will depending on the experience we are getting now from the vessel that we have on water and we are testing at the moment. But I do expect more to come. Mm. Kim, you had something to add? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify our position. I mean, we're taking the der <coughs> derivatives and, and we're fine with that, and that's doing, doing great. And in the meantime, our main focus is not to do scrubbers. So, so we're one of the few that actually stick out our neck and not doing it. Um, and I'm speaking for Concordia Maritime, uh, of course, the bigger group, uh, Stella, has done it on, on their ferries and their row, row ships. Uh, Way back when, so, but but we believe that um, with that paper position and the fact that uh, there will be compliant fuels come 2020, and there is a big question mark in our mind whether there will be HFO enough come 2022, 2023 when the scrubbers are paid out. So so therefore we are our main mainstay or our current uh, 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 trade is uh, not scrubber. Can I, can I add to this? Uh, we are also uh, of the view that we are, we are not installing scrubbers. It's a very costly exercise. For an MR, a retrofit today, it's in the region of 2.5 million, depending on the uh, shipyard. Um, uh, for small-sized uh, uh, vessels, medium-sized vessels, uh, eco, with eco characteristics, uh, it doesn't make sense to install scrubbers. This is our... Uh, and uh, we, I strongly believe, uh, I strongly agree with Kim, that the new blends that will become uh, by next year will make sense and will be at a lower cost. It's, it's always easy and comfortable to be in the majority. Yeah, we think the same way here. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, then I, I can uh, differ on that. I, honestly, I've had difficulties finding any oil analyst that say there will be any shortage of high sulfur fuel oil. 
in the next five to ten years. Um, so, and the price spread, that's always anybody's best guess. Uh, I, I do think the business case is, is quite good. Um, so I, I struggle a little bit to see the arguments for why not going scope away. I guess another argument against is, you know, the MRs cater for a lot of the smaller ports. You know, is there a risk of, of not having, you know, the, the HFO available? I mean, in your spreadsheets, you assume that they actually run on, on MGO for, for some of the, the time at sea? Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. And you know, then I, I know I understand also the point of Tom. The, the the thing that in all calculations we say that the calculations are all very right, but then the the, the, the unknown factor is two: one, the spread between high sulfur and low sulfur fuel, and the second big factor is for how long there's going to be that spread. You know, if it's going to be for one year, it's one story. If it's going to be for five, it's totally different story. And I think that the market normally tend to adjust themselves pretty fast. So I don't know. Probably, uh, you know, anyhow, it's a guess. So. All right, and, uh, and I guess, you know, nobody is, is ordering vessels uh, given where the market is today, but at least in fairness, we're quite optimistic for, for 19 and 20, and then certainly there will be discussions about new build orders again. I, I guess for, for product, there seems to be a great reduction in, in yard capacity. I mean, the Japanese is not building a lot of uh, product tankers, and in Korea, you had SPP closed, you have SDS has been restructured, so, and, and Korean yards in the past, they used to you know, deliver 100 plus uh, vessels each year on the products. And I mean, what's the capacity for, for, um, for product tankers in Korea these days? Uh, from what we understand, in Korea we have, um, besides Hyundai Mipo, which is the most active shipyard, which can produce today 20 to 30 vessels per year, plus their, their affiliated shipyard at Vietnam, another 10 to 12 vessels. Uh, we have STX, uh, but we know what's going on with STX with the refund guarantees, but they can also produce 10 to 12 vessels per year. And we have a smaller shipyard called Daisan, which can build another five to six vessels. So overall, you could say the Korean capacity today, it's around 50 to 55 vessels. Mm. And the Japanese is... Uh it's very limited, and then also, in addition to being very limited, they're kind of full. I just come back, I came back from tour from Japan uh, yesterday. They are very full, and in addition to that, Japanese shipyards are very expensive to make uh, to make MRs. And MR in Japan, we're talking over 40 million. So there is a spread a differential of four five million between a Korean MR and a Japanese built MR. So it's kind of difficult to see how that they'll be doing uh, some more dry cargo ships or things like that. I don't see them. Built and I guess on, on that note, I mean, 36, 37 million for a Korean MR. I mean, the VLCCs and, and also Susmax Nobel prices has been re increasing more than 10%. It seems some products less so. So, Mark, do you think, you know, the, are the Korean making money on, on products uh, these days? I, I think I think they're very much borderline. Uh, telling you about Japan, uh, I think this week or next week, uh, all the shipyards are renegotiating all the steel contracts. One of the big factors of bringing inflation on price of ships has been the steel prices, steel plate going up. And, uh, and uh, that's going to be a big issue. For the Korean yards, they face the same issue. So I think, uh, I think there's a lot of price pressure. I think probably the Koreans, the Vietnamese are a little bit cheaper, but everybody faces them. I think that below 35, 40, 34, 35 million, it is tough to go below those numbers, I think. And also because you can do it, but then you're locking in a loss, which today the banks who are issuing the refundment guarantees are not willing to lock in a loss for those shipyards for not being in a situation like STX and all the shipyards like that. The, the problem of STX didn't come from the shipyard with the price. Most of the banks issuing refundment guarantees not willing 
to help a client in difficulty to, to consolidate a loss. So I think uh, we're there at the price wise pretty close. I guess as, as a final point, I mean, surprisingly, there's actually a lot of M&A talk now in, in product tankers. You have the, uh, you know, Diamond S fleet is, is said to be uh, for sale. You have the pending merger of Hafnial and BW. You have Torms listing in the U.S. So, I mean, Eddie, you think the market is, is big enough for, for more listed product names? Uh, not really. I think <laughs> we have enough product tanker names. Uh, yeah, I mean, capital markets are not there. So uh, we have to find more innovative ways to grow our companies. Uh, so uh, and uh, the, the companies you mentioned also have investors which are looking for a way out and uh, they're looking for an exit and therefore it makes sense for them to have a visible uh, um, um, event, uh, exit event. So uh, overall I think it's a good idea to be uh, joining forces in this market. Uh, we, we are of the strong belief that the market will be uh, good in the next uh, two to three years, therefore, and it will be a sustainable recovery. Therefore, it makes sense to join forces with other companies. And Christian, what's the ambition of, of Torms uh, listing in the US, you think, going forward? Uh, so well, what's the ambition? I mean, what's the, the end game? So, let's see, we took the first step with a listing uh, in December last year. Uh, we'll probably follow up, follow up with a shift registration at a point, and let's see when the market is there, um, that can be some activity. Mm. So, so final point, final question is is for all of you, I guess. As the product names, at least in our numbers, trade with a very significant discount to to steel. Kim, how do you think we're able? To, how should we gonna go about this, uh, getting it, uh, getting it up? We need long-term profitability. What about you, Mark? I mean, on the two Q earnings, you said that the discount was around forty percent, which seems to be the highest in in yeah, for sure. a lot we, of years. We have this discount that comes a little bit also from where we're listed, but I totally agree with Kim. We have to deliver results. So, you know, unless uh, you know, the price of shares is nothing else than the discounted cash flow of the value that you expect and dividends to be to be distributed. So when you don't distribute dividends and the the value of the shares are not going up, I don't see how you can uh, you can improve your. Uh, your uh, discount uh, to steel. So I think we have to give some, uh, some we have to give some performance. Right. Or the market help us, you know, it's not us. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Eddie? Is, is gonna, does size matter in this market? I mean, or is this just kind of the pool sufficient enough to provide the... Yeah, well, size matters, yes. Uh, um, I mean, it creates economies for the company. Um, on the other hand, commercially, it doesn't really matter because you can um, even a small owner can place a vessel in a pool and commercial pool, and therefore have all the benefits of the market. Therefore, commercially, it doesn't make sense. But operationally, yes, uh, size matters. I think uh, you achieve economies, and it makes sense to have a bigger uh, company. It's a bigger player, and you get all the benefits of a bigger company. Perfect. At least if I can add here, I think the, the economies of scale are mostly on the capital markets, both vis-a-vis -vis the banks, but also vis-a-vis -vis the shareholders. And that's where you really get the benefit from having a, a larger platform. Perfect. I guess we have time for, uh, for a question or two from the audience, uh, if there's any. <laughs> no time? Three, okay, sorry. Two, then I thank the panelists for, for joining. Zero. And, uh, thank we you. just saved ourselves. <laughs> <laughs>